Hello, everybody, and uh, this is the inaugural Data Center Knowledge podcast. We're recording this at Data Center World at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Uh, we have with us today Peter Ferris, who was recently named Chief Evangelist at Equinix. Before that, he was uh, his title was a Senior VP, Office of the CEO at Equinix. Uh, Peter just uh, did um, a keynote presentation at Data Center World. And um, it's good to have uh, to have you here, Peter, with us. Thank you, yeah. So um, let's start with um, your new role, what it is that you do now. Well, <laughs> the chief evangelist, uh, like many chief evangelists in Silicon Valley, um, attend conferences like this and talk about Equinix and our place in the world and evangelizing our capability, evangelize our capabilities. So um, I do a lot of um, outward speaking and uh, um, education uh, around what Equinix does and what our role is and what our belief is, where the industry is going. I mean, we want, we want to try and think that we're sitting in the front row uh, and watching a lot of the companies that are making things, big things happen in the industry, um, and we get the some of the benefit. Um, uh, we say we have this privileged position to, that we get to see what many of the leaders in the world of technology are doing. And um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up in the data center business? Well, <coughs> um, uh, Tongue-in-cheek, I sometimes tell people that I helped invent the data center business, the co-location business. I was working for MFS in the early 90s, and MFS DataNet was a company who built the first uh, exchange, uh, internet exchange, and they called it May East. <coughs> and they were going to develop one on the West Coast called May West. And the May East was in uh, Northern Virginia? It was in Northern Virginia in Tyson's Corner. And it was really the first internet exchange. And we had a lot of the early players like UUNet, PSINet, Digex, MCI Internet, SurNet, which was the energy, uh, exchange, uh, the, the energy uh, department for the United States. And probably eight or 10 companies came together and decided that they were going to, instead of buying T1s to each other, uh, UUNet would buy a T1 to all the other providers, and then when that filled up, they'd buy another one, and they were constantly provisioning, provisioning more bandwidth. So they decided to have a place where they all bought very high-speed connections into one central place and began to exchange traffic. Um, and so that traffic exchange became the place where content companies really needed to present their content. Um, it just made sense. Mm -hmm. And so by, by content companies, uh, who do you Netscape mean? was a very early uh, content company. A billion users would sign on and the browser would populate their screen. And you needed to download that browser information on their screen. So that was content. NBC had an executive channel uh, that uh, business users could use. Um, you know, and in, the biz in the early 90s, there weren't a lot of companies that presented um, 
business content or any kind of content on the internet. So it was very early days, but you could see that um, users needed to have a technology solution to uh, these billions of eyeballs that were looking, were, were in search mm -hmm. of more and more and more content. Mm -hmm. So it made, made sense to create these exchange points for networks to connect and then for content companies to present. These exchanges were obviously uh, crucial um, to the development of the internet, um, yeah. but so were data centers. At which point um, did you realize or, or just kind of get into this business of providing space for computer equipment that's next to these internet exchanges? Um, I actually wrote a position paper while I was at MFS for Jim Crow, who became the founder and CEO of Level 3, uh, because he was the president at uh, MFS. And he acquired uh, UUNet, and they got into the internet business um, because of all the things that were happening. And I presented a position paper saying, we need to build data centers near the exchange points. And at that point, we had one in Northern Virginia, one in uh, Northern California. We had the Dallas Internet Exchange, we called DICE. Uh, in Dallas, we had one in Chicago, and the National Science Foundation was actually putting out bids to build these exchange points, and I knew um, that we needed to have data centers at these, at these places, and Jim Crow just didn't have the vision, so I left the company and went to a company called Genuity, who some people have heard of, mm -hmm. in 1996, and that was wholly owned by Bechtel Corporation out of Northern California, who loved to build things. So Genuity uh, said, oh, we'll build data centers near the exchange points uh, so that you know, big companies can come in and put their electronic what, infrastructure. What was your case to, um, to these kind of higher-ups? Well, you'd be alarmed uh, at the case. Uh, it was not much more than a conversation. And I was sitting at a Genuity board meeting, which was, the board was full of Bechtel engineers <coughs> or and Bechtel principals, um, and these guys built the Hoover Dam. They did huge. They built subways and they built huge infrastructure projects. And Genuity's initial business plan was to build n an internet network. <coughs> and I, at a board meeting, I went in and said, "We can go build another internet internet network." But there's already quite a few being built and already in existence. But what we ought to do is build big data centers. And it was shortly after that that we just started building huge data centers. There wasn't a lot of big, there wasn't a big business case. They said, well, we'll try it. Mm -hmm. And admittedly, we, we went and we procured data centers that were already built out. And then we connected them up to the internet. And, and um, the kind of internet data center was born. Mm -hmm. And then I moved over to a company called Frontier Global Center, and they were, they had big customers uh, that they were bringing on, like Yahoo, um, GeoCities, um, Playboy was actually a big internet site in the late 90s because, you know, men didn't know where to go on the internet, so they'd go to the Playboy site. Um, wasn't very interesting, but it was a frequent, it was a big destination. Um, and then just out of just out of curiosity, what was the size of Playboy's uh, 
data center infrastructure at the time. Well, they had all their inf all their infrastructure was in our data center at Frontier Global Center. Yeah. They had no data center, so their whole web presence was yeah. in our data center in north in uh, in Northern California. Northern California, yeah. and and, so, and how big was it? was the presence? Was they it had like uh, no, they probably had like fifteen or twenty racks, which you know in nineteen ninety seven was a big site, and it was a complex yeah. site because. <coughs> um, our engineers had to help them really essentially build out and manage the whole site. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I'm, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know why it was so complicated to run, but it was. And they were one of our biggest customers for two or three years. And who were some of the other bigger, biggest ones? Um, there were some sites like GeoCities was a site where you could go in and build free uh, websites. Right. Um, and there were a long list of companies that um, that got into that business. Angel Fire was one. We had a gaming company called Happy Puppy, which was a huge gaming site. And when I'd go home and tell my wife that uh, I got the Happy Puppy account, she just couldn't understand <laughs> what I was talking about. <laughs> but they were a huge, uh, a great hey, customer. Happy Puppy is a big money maker for us. It was a big <laughs> money maker for us. And she said, I don't understand the internet. <laughs> um, and then we got, you know, Google was, uh, when they first started in, you know, 99, became a customer. And then we really, we had, since we had Yahoo and Netscape and Playboy, we were a force in the co-location business mm -hmm. and so we were attracting you know a lot of the big names at that time and so companies like Google started with us and um, became a huge customer mm -hmm. and and uh, where in this uh, at which point in the story does Equinix come into <coughs> so I was working for Frontier Global Center and we were competing against a company called Exodus and Exodus <coughs> Frontier uh, Frontier came in and bought Global Center, and Frontier was a big telecommunications firm who was concerned about earnings per share, as big companies are. Exodus went and did an IPO, and IPOs in the late 90s weren't worried about making money or earnings per share. So they really started running circles around us, and they were growing faster than we were. Uh, so Exodus and Frontier Global Center were really the two big co-location companies in the United States in the late 90s. And then um, I got a call from <coughs> a headhunter at Benchmark Capital, who was one of the venture capital firms that, um, that funded Equinix, <coughs> um, and said, you, should, you need to look at this company. We have a better business model. It was network neutral. So we're going to invite all the networks to come in, AT&T and Sprint and Quest and MCI and all the big networks. So, going to so Frontier was not uh, network neutral? <coughs> Frontier was not network neutral. Okay. They would have the Frontier network that they yeah. built in there. And so I said, yes, I think that companies building a big e-commerce presence on the Internet would rather sit on the edge of all the big networks instead of sitting inside one network managed by Exodus or Frontier. And it was hard to manage those networks because essentially you were buying bandwidth from AT&T and Sprint and all those other companies. And you never knew how much of any one of their, of any one company that Yahoo or Playboy or any of those companies needed. So 
Um, I went over to uh, Equinix and <coughs> people loved the business model. And uh, we, we started in, uh, the company started in 1998. I started with them in 1999 in July, on July 12th. And we didn't have any data centers or any salespeople yet. And so, uh, but in 1999, with a good story like that, we were able to raise $80 million in venture funding. And we had companies like Cisco Ventures. We had Dell Ventures, Michael Dell's venture fund. Um, Mark Andreessen, uh, the founder of Netscape, invested in our company. So we were able to attract a lot of high profile investors mm -hmm. um, to fund the, the venture side. And then a year later, we did a $340 million public debt offering mm -hmm. with almost no business. So what, what was it uh, about Equinix that, uh, that the VCs saw at the time? <coughs> Equinix, the founders at Equinix wanted to have the company uh, limited scope to be a, ne a network exchange company. I described the MF, uh, at MFS, May East and May West. <coughs> the founders at Equinix started an exchange point called the PACS, the Palo Alto Internet Exchange. And they said, what we want to do is build a company where we institutionalize network exchanges and go to the top 30 markets around the world and make these, you know, the place where the internet would gravitate to. This would help the internet scale and um, we would be a global company. When I started in 99, I had a discussion immediately with the founders and said, I think this is a good idea, but it's not a big enough idea. I think we need to build a place where not just the networks come, and the networks were a surrogate for the eyeballs for people on the internet, we need to build data centers where the content comes and where the content meets the eyeballs. And so the, the founders said, we think your idea is a good one, but we're going to need to raise more money <laughs> to build big da bigger data centers. And so that's, that's what we did. And um, we started gaining a lot of momentum mm -hmm. in the early so fast forward to today, uh, you mentioned an interesting number in the presentation. Um, how much money has Equinix spent at this point scaling? Um, they have spent over the 18 years that I've been there, somewhere between 17 and 18 billion dollars. Our capital expense budget is, you know, more than, it ranges between 500 million and a billion dollars a year in building new data centers just to keep up with demand. Mm -hmm. And the more markets that we go to, I think, you know, we're in, you know, um, we're going to be in 50 markets soon, but we, we continue to grow the markets we're in and we continue to grow the number of data centers. Once we go into a market, we build a campus and we build multiple data centers. When one fills up, we build another one in close mm -hmm. proximity. And that figure includes acquisitions also? That includes acquisitions, okay. yeah. So um, over time, we've made big acquisitions of Switch and Data, which was a huge player in the US. Early days, we bought Pihana Pacific, which got us into Asia. We got sites in Tokyo, Sydney, Singapore, and Hong Kong. Um, and we bought Telecity um, last year and got us, I think, 10 new markets in Europe. Mm -hmm. So the, 
now we have a huge presence in the U.S., Europe, and in Asia. And you mentioned another interesting figure, which is the amount of money the big cloud providers are spending on data centers, uh, which is around around ten billion. At least I think each. That's what I think. I think. Shared. Yeah. I think Google probably spends ten billion. Every I think year. Amazon spends about ten billion, and Microsoft spends ten billion a year, which is interesting to me because one might ask, why would somebody be spending that much money? to out in front of demand uh, to put infrastructure all over the world. <clears throat> and I think the reason is because um, they believe and they're helping to facilitate a dramatic shift away from company-owned and managed data centers where a company owns and manages the data center and all the hardware inside it. And they're saying, why incur that capital expense and why manage that whole expensive hard process when we can build it for you and have it pre-provisioned uh, for you to take advantage of just in time all around the globe. It's a compelling value proposition. But it's a, it's a big bet by some big companies that have a lot of money. And uh, I think that they're making it so compelling for companies to use their product, their in infrastructure as a service that I think you're seeing a huge migration and a huge transition by a lot of companies right. to go to cloud. Um, so we hear a lot about the data centers these cloud providers build themselves. Um, they don't talk as much about all of the collocation services that they use. Right. Um, can you talk about how and why they use these services? The interesting thing about the, the, the big five, I'll say, there's Google, there's Amazon, there's Microsoft, there's Facebook, and Apple. And they build these huge data centers, usually in places where the infrastructure is cheap, more specifically where power is cheap. So they will build these sites in areas in North Carolina, in Oregon, in Washington State, in the United States, where power is extremely cheap. And so, and they're in very rural areas. Um, and it's interesting because they're pushing the envelope on data center technology, on hardware technology, to figure out how to build hardware better, faster, and cheaper. And so, they are pushing white box hardware providers to build boxes just for them that are stripped down, that can operate in an environment that's a 90 or 100 degrees, they don't have to be really cool. Um, and they're more resilient, they're easier to manage, and what it's, what it's doing is putting a lot of pressure on a lot of the traditional hardware vendors like Dell and Cisco and um, Hewlett Packard IBM got out of the hardware business because they're seeing that if these big providers are owning and managing and providing hardware as part of the service they provide, it doesn't matter what brand it is. Um, and so these white box providers, there's one in the East Bay in Northern California that does $2 billion in business. They're just five years old and they have five customers, mm -hmm. those customers that I just mentioned. And they, they make boxes for these companies. Um, and so, which company is that? 
the company's name is Hive, H-Y-V-E. And there's four or five companies that are getting into this business. Right, like like WeWin and Quanta. And yes, and uh, so they're democratizing the hardware business. Um, and it's going to you know, create some losers and create some winners as we go forward. Um, but when you move to cloud and you're an enterprise customer, um, you know, I don't call up Salesforce.com and say, what kind of hardware are you using to, to manage my application? Yeah, I don't, don't know. Care. I don't care. Um, so these big guys will, you know, in some cases, Google builds their own servers. So they build everything, um, or as much as, as they can or need to from the ground up. Um, they are still using uh, colocation data centers all around the world. Um, um, why, why, why do they still use them? Um, all these companies have figured out that the infrastructure needs to be close to the users. Um, speed of light issues. Uh, congestions and la congestion and latency issues on networks um, dictate that you need to host the content and the applications out close to the users. So you need to serve London from London, serve Singapore from Singapore, serve New York from New York, and the, li and the, and the, and the example goes on. And while they may build regional data centers, in the United States. They might have two or three big hubs where they build their data centers. They will build umbilical cords that extend into our facilities, which kind of represent the edge for them. There's their core network, and we're the digital edge. And edge means when their own network ends and their traffic is handed off to It's the on-ramp and the off-ramp for their users. Mm -hmm. um, and so, they might have a data center in North Carolina that serves some that serves New York City, but they'll build a big edge site in New York City in our data center or in someone else's data center like ours. And customers will uh, exchange, they, they will interface with Google applications at the edge. And the most used applications and the most used content will stay at the edge. They cache the application, they cache the content, because you have, instead of hauling it back and forth from North Carolina, which based on the amount of traffic you're talking about would be unwieldy. It'd be very expensive. It'd be very slow. So they push, they, they build these intelligent edge nodes where they essentially are edge caches. And the reason they don't go and build uh, their own facilities in these edge markets is? To some degree, there's, I think there's two reasons. It's kind of the same. They're figuring out what business they're going to be in, um, and you know, <coughs> Google could go and build big data centers in North Carolina and big data centers in every major city in the United States, but they're relying on comp they're taking advantage of companies like us that have um, all the networks already there, that have a bunch of customers already there, and this edge is a very robust ecosystem of their partners, their suppliers, and their customers. Um, so it just, it's, 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 it's strategically and economically just makes a heck of a lot more sense for them to extend their edge into a data center like ours and take advantage. It's of faster, it. it's easier. Yeah, I mean, in the end, cheaper. 
Google is in the search business. <laughs> they're not in the data center business. Yeah. They spend ten billion a year on data centers, but they're in the search business, and they realize that. They're an advertising that. company. Yeah, yeah, and they're an advertising company. So, they do realize that while there that makes economic sense to make their own servers and build some data centers, it that only that only goes so far. In the end. Um, you know, search is a very good business, and advertise, digital advertising is a very good business. At, at least for them. At, at least for them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and so it, it 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 you know it makes sense for them to build some infrastructure, especially as they're becoming a cloud infrastructure provider. But it only goes so far. Talk about the split <coughs> between enterprise cloud content service provider customers in your guys' data centers and then also can you talk a little bit about this a big enterprise data center opportunity that uh, both you guys and, and your competitors in the data center business as well as all of these cloud providers are going after um, yeah yep. what is so <coughs> this is the way I look at, if, if you take an enterprise company, um, I think of the world in three parts, three compute spaces. They have the company-owned and operated data center. They have public cloud providers, IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS. And then in the middle, there's hybrid. Uh, and that's really where we're carving out our niche. Um, we are saying companies are going to shrink their company-owned data centers, and they're going to put more stuff in hybrid and public cloud. And not owning the data center and not owning the hardware is going to be paramount and, or foundational to that strategy. Um, so, but, the but there will still be their company-owned data center. So there are three compute spaces. Let's say the company-owned data center is private. Let's say the space in our facility is hybrid, and let's say the space in Microsoft or Salesforce is public. From a company's perspective, they're going to have data and applications running in all three for the foreseeable future. And so their compute space is one. Their users don't care whether it's in private, hybrid, or public. But the IT professionals care because public may make sense for some applications, but some applications, the data needs to be controlled and managed and maintained for legal reasons, for privacy reasons, for um, internal company reasons, that it needs to be in a, in a company-controlled space. So that will either be in hybrid or in the company-owned data centers. Um, some of the traditional ERP applications, Oracle and SAP, have been hard to move out of company-owned data centers. But they're evolving, and the companies are coming up to speed and making it um, easier um, and feasible to move those applications off-prem into a hybrid or into one of their into one of their managed spaces. Well, also the the, <coughs> the providers of those of, of that software are also actively um, getting into the cloud business. They they want to provide it as a cloud service and, and not uh, necessarily on-prem. They're slower movers because they have a a, a big, um, in, they're in, you know, they, their customers are incumbents. They're on-prem, and 
they don't want the world to go to cloud, <laughs> but they understand that the world is going to cloud, so they need to you know, stand up and, and embrace it. Microsoft was probably the first big software company to, you know, Microsoft has bet their future on cloud. So they're really investing everything in, in making them cloud available. Oracle and SAP have been slower, um, but they're definitely moving in that direction. From our perspective, we want to carve out the hybrid space. So when you close down your data center, move stuff off-prem, you need a global hybrid cloud footprint that is adjacent to all the big public cloud providers. That is what Equinix is building, mm -hmm. the place where you can sit next to Microsoft and Amazon and Google and Oracle and SAP and seamlessly integrate. How do you think about the kind of the scope of this enterprise um, infrastructure outsourcing opportunity? Um, how big? How big is it? It is. I don't know what the actual number number is, but in my presentation today, I talked about the migration of the wildebeests. I don't think. I think that the amount of IT infrastructure that still sits inside a enterprise-owned and managed data center is still in the seven, somewhere between 70 and 80 percent. So we still have 70 to 80 percent to move out. If the next generation of IT professionals um, are a group of people who say, I'm never going to own and manage a data center because you know, I grew up in the 90s and my professional career in the 90s and the 2000s is, is, is not you know, kind of the legacy thinking. We're going we're gonna to use cloud provider, providers exclusively to deploy services, hybrid or public. Um, I think in the next five to ten years, you're going to see a massive shift. And that 70% is going to go to something dramatically less in terms of the amount of infrastructure. And that that's represents trillions of dollars of IT spend. Trillions of dollars. Well, Peter, that's all I have. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. For thanks for thanks for taking the time. Chat.